We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, Tyler here. When you're Chinese like me, you don't have a lot to work with, if you know what I mean. Like the game of football, every inch matters. That's why I use the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 to trim my Darren Sproles. It's a great tool to clear up all your AstroTurf. Maybe you can trim it down to look like a field goal post. That way, if Michael Badgley ever tries to kick you, he'll miss every time. Use the code GUILTY at checkout on manscaped.com to receive 20% off your next order. Enjoy the ride. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven, and I'm your host. Uh, unfortunately, we do have to cover some some sad news today out of the Chargers world. Uh, Vincent Jackson, the former Chargers receiver and Buccaneers receiver, uh, has passed away. Details pending. Um, but we just want to send our well wishes out to the Jackson family. I know Jackson uh, was such a crucial part of the Chargers teams that made all three of us fans of the sport and fans of the Chargers um, so I just wanted to talk about him really quick. I know Tyler, uh, you got to watch him in, I never got to watch him in San Diego. You're the only one of the three of us that did. Uh, what were your, what were some of your favorite memories of Vincent Jackson? Well, just that first one. And I realized I have to backtrack that post that the play that I posted, I did not watch that one live. We, my dad and I had never been to a game down there before. So we were trying to figure out how to get down there. We hit traffic, didn't know where to go, trying to find the free parking, take the shuttle. So I heard that play on the radio. And then I finally got in there for the game. But just watching him, and he had two more touchdowns that game. He was the player that everyone moving forward in the draft was trying to figure out for Phillip Rivers. Like everyone thought that he wanted a the taller guy. The everyone was looking for that Vincent Jackson type. You yeah. know, we got this tall guy who's like a Vincent Jackson type. Now he has another Vincent Jackson. What a special combination of 
of talent. Well, really just talent. <laughs> it was an incredible player and there really wasn't anybody like him. And the Chargers really haven't had anybody like him. I think he's six, five, just an athletic phenom uh, kind of a receiver. Now we've transitioned more to Keenan Allen, who's a different kind of guy. Um, but that time growing up, watching him at the few games that I got to watch him play, um, really special guy. And uh, it's, it's really tragic. I was, I was feeling good today. And to also get that news out of nowhere, you know, whatever happened with the situation, it, it, clearly there was something wrong. And it's a real shame, you know, with the Schottenheimer passing away recently, yeah. uh, with the Jackson, the Chargers lost uh, Max Turk, I think last year. Um, it's just been, it's been a rough go of things for Chargers fans, for sure. It has. And it's just really sad to see somebody, I mean, he's only, you know, 10 years older than I am, which is, is just kind mm. of crazy. And like, you know, there's been this, all this conversation recently about like, you know, Tom Brady and his age, like Vincent Jackson has been out of the league for a few years and he's five years younger than Tom Brady. So just wow. really sad and unfortunate timing. Alex, there were a lot of people who mentioned a very specific moment as like their favorite Vincent Jackson moment. Uh, and you happen to be at that game. Yeah. Uh, what was your memory of that day? And what did that moment mean for you? Yeah, um, usually when the Chargers come to the East Coast, they come in like, yeah, uh, September or like October. And that was like a November game and it was cold. Um, and I, I had a bunch of people message me or reply to me that they were at that game where uh, Rivers threw the open touchdown to the back of the end zone to visit Jackson with like 20 seconds left. And it felt so good to get a win over Eli um, and, you know, growing up in uh, New Jersey, all my friends were either Giants or Eagles fans. So, you know, you got to go to school the next day and kind of <laughs> torture the Giants fans, friends. But um, yeah, uh, that, you know, game was just so fun. I mean, you know, you bring up the game against San Francisco. I mean, there's the game against the Raiders where there was like a whole touchdown drive of just Vincent Jackson catches. Yeah. Um, you know, we've sort of moved on to Keenan Allen. And I think in like the, the larger chargers history, um, because they'll probably stick around longer. It's like Keenan Allen is going to have all those records. Um, but Vincent Jackson is just, you know, such an integral part to those, you know, uh, teams in the mid two uh, thousands. And, you know, he, the, the catch against the Steelers in the playoffs was awesome. Uh, just so many moments where, you know, he used that, uh, athleticism he had, and, you know, the chargers have like found guys since then. Like, I, I guess the closest comparison is like Mike Williams, but Mike Williams right. didn't have that kind of, uh, you know, athleticism, uh, by any means necessarily. Uh, there, yeah, there hasn't been a player, I guess that's exactly like him. And like Tyler said, the league was trying to find like the next Vincent Jackson, um, so yeah, he, he was awesome. And, you know, like you guys were saying, like, just to get that, you know, he's 38 years old, um, at that, you know, I think he has four kids, um, just, uh, terrible so news sad. to hear, uh, as a whole. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll figure out more in the coming days, but it's just tough to see, uh, football players who, um, unfortunately just have a tough post career and, and then they're gone. Um, and I, it got me thinking, you know, when was the last time I really remember like listening to listen, Vincent Jackson? And I found it in my YouTube history. There was a clip of like him at uh, and Roger Staubach at like Super Bowl 50 doing some kind of like quiz competition. Oh, wow. Uh, it was like five or six years ago. And and because Vincent Jackson was like kind of a private guy after his career, it's like just um, it's, it's sad that it's been so long that since I've like really thought of him uh, on like a on, on a day to day basis. But uh yeah, uh, rest in peace, Vincent Jackson. 
Yeah, you know, it really is is so sad because we we get these players and they have you know Vince Jackson was only a charter for seven seasons, and you know there was the holdout season and which was also plagued by injury. So we had we had really six years of, of Vincent Jackson, and all of us. I mean, Twitter was just flooded with all these positive memories of Vincent Jackson, and you know it really was like for me like. I think he was a great player, but for me, I think what made him so special is that he was ascending right as LT was declining and leaving. And so I always thought like back then that Vincent Jackson was going to be a charger for life and that he was going to take the tor- the torch from LT. Obviously you had Gates and Rivers and things like that, but you know, somebody to bring that flair and just like all the excitement that Vincent ja- Jackson could provide. And it seemed like he was just barely hitting his prime. And then you know, the holdout and the injury. And then he went to Tampa Bay and, you know, so he, he's obviously someone that I will always think fondly of at, during his time as a charger. I, I wish that we could have seen him for longer, um, but just a sad day for chargers fans. And and obviously the organization is, is definitely going to miss him. Yeah. And you also bring up uh, Tampa Bay and like he, he was one of the guys there that brought Mike Evans yeah. along right. uh, and sort of helped him mold him into what he's become. And Mike Evans just won the Super Bowl last week. Um, so yeah, it's just incredibly sad. And, you know, you bring up the person he was on and off the field, uh, you know, man of the year, uh, all the charity work he did. It's just, um, it's tough to see him gone. We got 540 catches, 9,080 yards, 57 touchdowns. Pretty, pretty good career. Shame. We couldn't, it's a shame. We couldn't finish it with San Diego. Um, I, I don't know how rivers would have done when he leaves. He left it in 2000. 11, oh, man. So there were some there were some really dark years for the receiver group after Jackson left and in right. between Keenan Allen, you know, the days mm-hmm. of of say he is your tutu and like and yeah, we're Vincent trying to get Vincent Brown. Brown yeah, yep. uh, Denario Alexander. No, as soon when he left, there was this it was like Malcolm Floyd was the number one yeah. receiver, <laughs> which I love Floyd, but geez, yeah. Uh, you know, it was fun watching like Floyd and Vincent Jackson and LT and then. You know, after Vincent Jackson left, it was just like, well, LT was gone. Vincent Jackson is gone. And, you know, it's Gates and Malcolm Floyd and Rivers trying to make it work. Um, but, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a tough couple of years there. And, and it just is a testament to how talent uh, how talented Vincent Jackson was and just the, the big plays that he could make. Yeah. So, you know, again, we send our well wishes to the Jackson family and especially his kids. And, and we really hope that you know they're able to you know find some kind of positives in this situation i know losing a loved one is always crazy but um definitely want to want to give uh, a rest in peace shout out to vincent jackson so um we're gonna move on obviously you know we do have some things to talk about not related to vincent jackson um and and there were some big cuts this weekend well there was really one big cut this weekend um which kind of sparked some conversation about some roster cuts so we're going to talk about jj watt uh, and the conversation around him and, and as well as maybe mentioned some roster cuts that the Chargers could do. And then we are also going to, if we have time, uh, talk about the running backs, the running back group on the Chargers, as well as the tight ends, uh, do an assessment like we did last time, maybe what the Chargers could do in draft, if anything at all, or in free agency. Um, so let's start with J.J. Watt. You know, there's a, there's obviously a whole side conversation that you know we're not going to talk about, which is the indictment of the Houston Texans organization the last couple of weeks. Um, but JJ Watt, like as a player, I still think he has some left to provide for a team. I, I don't think that he's going to play much longer. I don't think that he's going to try and get like a starter money 
I think he's going to look for a situation that he could come in, making an impact as a starter still, and win games. I think his priority right now is going to be to win games. Um, if that's the Chargers, we don't really know. Obviously, everybody has been talking about the Packers and the Steelers, obviously. Um, but let's focus this. Would he fit on the Chargers, and would you take a shot on him for the Chargers if the price is right? Uh, Tyler, I'll start with you there. I would absolutely. I just I I watched his first. It's not his first drive, but the Chiefs' first drive against the Texans to open the season, and they have him lined him in order at right tackle over the center, right tackle, right tackle over the center, over the tight end, over the right guard, over the center, and standing up. And I just think a guy like that for because because Staley at this point I believe him. He's going to put his players in the best position, just like he said with Bosa. I'm going to move him around. He's going to be at our edge. He can go over the guard. You know, whatever he, I know Staley can work, work wonders with JJ Watt. He's also, in my opinion, a good run defender. He was almost equal, kind of like Joey Bosa. who's a good pass rusher, but also a good run defender. Watt's a pretty good pass rusher and run defender. Jerry Tillery is not a good run defender, at least. And he's not quite there as a pass rusher right. either. And so I'd honestly much rather have a guy like JJ Watt out there than Jerry Tillery, whatever they decide to do with him. Um, at worst, you have a guy who doesn't have to be your number one pass rusher who's you know, a very smart guy. Okay, here's the thing that pisses me off about J.J. Watt. Sorry, not about J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt can catch a freaking fade in the end zone, and we can't <laughs> even get a touchdown from Mike Williams and Donald Parham to beat the Raiders, and J.J. Watt's <laughs> catching multiple like five fades in the end zone. The <laughs> I mean, come on. Anyway, he's a perfect Chargers player. Tom Telesco looks for guys like this. He yeah. is not only a high-character person, but he's you know a huge community engagement. What do you get, $40 million? Um, that he raised for, for the hurricane, Houston. Yeah. He would be, he'd be a perfect charger. He can fit in this team. Staley can work with him. He's a high character guy. I think he has enough left. I think there's a spot for him. The chargers have cap space. Are they a winning team that he wants to join? That's the only thing I'm not quite sure about right. aside from injuries, of course, but in terms of where he wants to go, are the chargers that team? Maybe I, I certainly think the Chargers will do better than seven and nine this year. But I don't know if they'll do better than, let's say, the Packers this season. So uh, we'll see. But I, yes, I would take a flyer on him if the price is right. Yeah, and I think the the last part you mentioned is kind of the important thing. Um, I think he's going to go to a team that gives him the best chance to win. And we've heard the Packers, the Steelers, the Bills. Um, I, I think we also heard the Browns and the Titans had some interest. Right. Uh, and, and all of those were playoff teams last year, right? Uh, so... I think on paper, the Chargers could make sense. You know, you pair him with Joey Bosa. Uh, like Tyler mentioned, he's a great run defender, uh, great pass rusher too. You know, still at thir- age 32, you know, five and a half sacks is pretty great, especially because he's not playing next to uh, anyone noteworthy anymore like he was with, say, like Jadavian Clowney. Um, so I-, I think that it would make sense to take a shot on him if he really wants to come here. I just think there's going to be teams that, you know, you JJ Watt is like they're one step away from right. the Super Bowl, right? I mean, the Bills in the AFC Championship game, Packers in the NFC Championship game, right? Um, and and that's sort of why I don't think he'll end up coming here. Uh, I just think there's going to be teams that put together those kind of more attractive competitive offers, where as the Chargers are probably two years away from really opening like a Super Bowl type window. Um, you know, first they got to make the playoffs with Justin Herbert before we, we talk about Super Bowl window. So right. that's sort of my thought on it. Um, 
my other thought is that I don't know if he's going to be very cheap. I think he's going, you know, he did get cut on the 17 and a half million rate. So he's not going to get that. But if you have like four or five teams competing for him, like seriously, I I think he can get 10 plus million uh, for a year or two uh, per year on the open market. I really don't think that that would be uh, too much, I guess, for his value. So it's a matter of, you know, do the Chargers want to go offensive line instead? Do they want to, you know, re-sign Hunter Henry, right? And like all these questions kind of pop into it. And they can definitely do multiple things. Uh, yeah, but I, I think it's really going to be about where does J.J. Watt want to go? Because I think he's going to have his choice. Um, I just think it's going to be with the team that's a little closer rather than one or two years away. Yeah, you know, and Ed Werder reported that there were 12 teams that had reached out to him already. So um, I, I think he could certainly take a team-friendly deal wherever he goes. You know, that's kind of just up to him and, and whatever team he's talking to. Um, but I think a two-year $20 million for him makes a lot of sense for whoever is is uh, going to sign him. You know, his wife plays soccer in Chicago, so obviously that has been uh, connected to as well. Um, I just think, you know, like at this point in his career, you know, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Like his four-year, five-year peak is probably like the greatest four or five years that we've seen out of any defensive end, like in NFL history. Like, I don't think people remember just how dominant he was. You know, he got 18, 19, 20 sacks for like five years straight and won three defensive player of the year awards. And so everybody kind of talks about what Aaron Donald is doing now and rightfully so, but you know, JJ Watts peak is one of the more dominant defensive peaks that we'll ever see. Um, I don't know, like, like if I'm the Packers, like does signing JJ Watt really make me feel like I'm that much, you know, more equipped to dethrone the Buccaneers. I feel like if I'm the Packers, I'd rather get Allen Robinson or, Mm. you know, a receiver and get Aaron some help. I, I, I understand the logic of like, you know, you sign JJ Watt, but to me, the reason why the Packers aren't, you know, winning Super Bowls is because Aaron Rodgers doesn't have enough help on offense. Um, if you talk about the Buccaneers, like the Buccaneers could make sense, you know, potentially losing, replacing Watt or replacing Ndamukong Su with J.J. Watt. That makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, he played for Mike Vrabel and Vrabel was a uh, coach for the for the Texans. Now he's the Titans. I don't know if J.J. Watt would <laughs> do that to Houston and, you know, go to his division rival. Um, but there are definitely some more teams that make better sense for J.J. Watt than I think the Chargers. But, you know, the Chargers could sell him on, hey, we have a great young quarterback. We have a, a very bright defensive-minded coach who's going to be able to make things work with you and Joey Bosa. Like, I think the Chargers could put together, like, a competitive offer in terms of, like, the appeal. But like Alex said, I just don't know if his priority is to win a ring and win a ring in, like, the next two or three years. That's not the Chargers. I'm also curious – and we'll talk about this in a little bit if we talk about the coaching staff at all today. The Chargers seem to be analytic-driven, or they're going to be a little bit more analytic-driven moving forward. And they've mentioned pro football focus a couple of times. J.J. Watt is like 142nd in pass rush productivity this past year. Even though he has 45 pressures, he's like 142nd. And that's cutting out some of the players that didn't play a whole lot of snaps. So I don't know how that looks for them, but... The year before, he was eighth, by the way. I don't know what happened this year. Yeah. I don't know how you get 45 pressures and you end up 142nd in pass rush productivity, but um, it wasn't good. But then, like Alex said, who's his running mate? Who's on that defense? The defense right. is terrible. So um, I'm sure that would increase if he went next to Joey Bosa. Um, but if the Chargers are looking into those analytics, that is something to keep in mind. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, right? I, I also think it'll depend on do they want to go if they in free agency, do they want to go for like a high price kind of outside linebacker, right? That could be yeah. like a Leonard Floyd, 
or do they want to go sort of in the direction of like Melvin Ingram or, you know, uh, JJ Watt or a player like that, Leonard Williams, also someone who's available. Um, so I think it'll depend on what direction they want to go. And, uh, I don't know, we, we, we haven't really seen enough of Staley to know like, oh, this is his kind of guy or he wants a defensive end or an outside linebacker. Um, uh, I think it would certainly be interesting, but yeah, I, I'm, I really don't know. I, I think that if you want to put a defensive end there, I think JJ Watt's a great guy, uh, to have, but, uh, I could also see why a Leonard Floyd or someone like that would be really tempting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about Brandon Staley, like he had his his second press conference and he said he's going to put Joey Bosa on the edge in a similar role to Khalil Mack or or uh, I believe he said Alden Smith. So, you know, we our last episode was under the impression that JJ that Joey Bosa, excuse me, uh, was going to be, you know, a hybrid three, four defensive end slash outside linebacker. It seems like right now Staley wants to use him as an as an outside, more of an outside linebacker than a defensive end. So to me, I feel like if you are approaching that and you have a hybrid defender, who's your best player, it would make sense to get another hybrid player who can play as an outside linebacker slash a defensive end. And I don't really know if that's JJ Watt. Again, I don't know if that's what Brandon Staley wants to do either, but they don't really have that. So, you know, in situations where you put Joey Bosa on the inside, you've got to have someone that can kick outside of him. But, you know, that's putting Inwosu on the other side and putting Tillery as the defensive end on the other side by himself. But, you know, to me, like, you know, I tweeted this out after the press conference, you know, a guy like Carlos Basham, Boogie Basham from Wake Forest makes a lot of sense or or, Carlos, or uh, Cameron Sample from Tulane who can play inside and outside. But obviously those are draft targets. And, you know, Leonard Williams, he can't really play on the outside either as much as I think that would be a fantastic high or a fantastic signing. But I think... And until we know more about what Brandon Staley wants to do, I think, you you know, signing J.J. Watt means that he's going to have to be really creative, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But um, I just don't I don't know if that's something that he's going to explore uh, in, you know, in the draft or in free agency instead. Yeah, if one of their plans is to put Jerry Tillery uh, on the outside based on his performance against the run game this year, I will pay JJ <laughs> Watt $40 million uh, to just play opposite Joey Bosa. <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, you know, the chargers, they won't pay him 40 million, but the chargers can be competitive. They can bully other teams and beat other teams with the money they have. So yeah, sure. they have the money to make it work. And I think, you know, if anybody can make a pairing of JJ Watt and Joey Bosa work like to perfection, you know, it's going to be Brandon Staley. And so, yeah, I was just having this conversation. We were listening to part of my take on our way home from from our little vacation this weekend, and they were interviewing obviously Justin Herbert, and, and then they interviewed Aaron Donald too. And you know, Brandon Staley, like they asked Aaron Donald about Brandon Staley, and he was like, you know, we just did a much better job of, of isolating one on one situations for him. And so, you know, that just kind of confirms that Brandon Staley is going to create one on one opportunities for whoever earns those opportunities. And you know, I, I'm I just can't wait. I think. JJ Watt makes a lot of sense, but at the same time, you know, it makes a, I, to me, it makes more sense to, you know, beef up the defensive line group through the draft because, you know, you don't really know what the long term future is of a Limbaugh Joseph, of a Justin Jones whose contract is up after next season, you know, of a Jenna and whose contract is up after next season. So, you know, we'll see. To me, that it just makes more sense to do that through the draft. 
Yeah, and the other thing to the draft is, you know, you're getting those cheap uh, rookie contracts that are so valuable, uh, whether you're drafting a defensive interior guy, a uh, defensive end, outside linebacker, like, I think that's why it just makes a lot of sense to do that um, in conjunction with whatever they do in free agency. Um, I think my other thought on Watt too is just, yeah, I mean, he's had a couple season ending injuries and, and that's a concern for me as he's kind of getting to, to 33, you know, uh, Peck one year, uh, some other stuff, some other years, but that's, um, that's a concern for me, especially at his age. So I don't know for me, I'd probably look in another direction, but you know, if he really says he wants to go to the Chargers and make it happen. Yeah, it's hard to ignore if he says he wants to go to the Chargers and sure, like there's not, they don't really have a better yeah. option on the roster. So, right. Um, but having done some mock drafts and looked at some guys, it's, and especially if the Chargers can trade back, there are just some options in the second round for their edge position or outside linebacker or whatever that I just think are, I would prefer at this point with the new coach and with Herbert being so young, they kind of do a little bit of a youth movement. Some of these yeah. veteran contracts just haven't really worked out for the Chargers at this point. He, if they were, if they were just a little bit better of a better team, like and they could win a Super Bowl next year, I'd be right. a little bit more behind this. But they're just not there yet. So I feel like they'd be spending, yeah. you know, five, ten, you know, million dollars a year for them to almost get to the Super Bowl, and then he retires, and then now they're going to go to the Super Bowl, and it's too late. So right. we'll see. And I, I just think the bigger need that they have to prioritize is like offensive line. Sure, like right. you, you got to get, you know, someone in free agency, people in the draft, like that to me is number one. So like if the difference is, you know, I'm spending, you know, 12 million on JJ Watt or I'm spending 12 million on Joe Thune. Like to me, I think you got to go Thune in that situation. Yeah. And, you know, transitioning to that offensive line, uh, there's going to be some really interesting name. Like everybody in the, in the NFL is going to have to make some interesting decisions, right? Because, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for example, they have zero dead cap on their starting left tackle. Who's pretty good. Like he's not a great, but he's very solid. And they have Chris Godwin to pay and Shaq Barrett and Levante David and like all these key players. And so it's like, Teams like that are not going to bring, they're not going to be able to bring back every single starter that they would like. You know, the Saints who are like, like there's no way the Saints are going to be able to keep all of their starters. Like they're going to have to make some cuts. Um, the Chargers necessarily, they don't have to cut anyone. Like they can head into free agency with their, you know, 26 to $30 million, depending on where the exact number is and, and you know, work with it and then draft people. You know, I think if, if we're talking about potential, you know, uh, cap casualties, I think you obviously have to start with Trey Turner, who we have talked about a couple of times, but I kind of want to dive into this a little bit more. Um, he carries a zero dead cap hit and he was so bad last year. Like Alex was having this conversation too. you know, his obviously PFF is not the end all be all in player evaluation, but his PFF grade last year and his ranking was atrocious. Yeah, I mean, PFF graded like 80 guards last year, and he was 79th. Um, <laughs> those are the kind of numbers that we're talking about. Oh, and man. It, 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 you know, when you watch him on film, too, like he was just noticeably um, slower than he was in Carolina, didn't didn't quite get leverage uh, quite as well. And uh, I, I just think that when you see that zero dead cap money, like that's sort of blood in the water. It's like it's sort of yeah. obvious what they're going to do based on Telesco's history as well. Um, and you know, I saw some comments that were like, 
you know, oh, well, Brian Balaga didn't play last year I, well either. So it's like, then you got to, you should cut both of them. It's like, well, if you cut Brian Balaga, you have 14 million in dead cap. Yeah. Um, so you can't do that. Um, <laughs> just, just functionally speaking. But, uh, um, you know, I mean, Trey Turner is the most obvious cut on the roster. Um, you know, some people have mentioned Mike Williams, but I think that that's more likely that they would do a contract extension or some kind of trade situation there just because he's kind of younger, um, more valuable in terms of potential draft compensation or something. Uh, But yeah, Trey Turner is the first one just, you know, and like, you know, people were making, you know, uh, I think commenting on my YouTube video and we're like, well, what if Trey Turner returns to his 2017 form? And it's like, that's great. um, But I'm not paying 11.3 million to figure out the answer to that hypothetical. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, And I, I think that's the biggest thing for me is like, he could be, uh, decent in, in 2020 or 2021 if he really returns to form. But I just didn't see enough last year, even when he had fully rehabbed from the groin to be like, okay, well, you know, let's try it again next year, especially not at that uh, cap it. Yeah, I really don't know what happened between him being at the Panthers and then him going to the Chargers because I was very high on him coming from the, the Panthers. Yeah. He looked fine. Yeah, there's some injury history, but, you know, at least when he's on the field, he should be okay. And he was terrible i mean it was it was not very good yeah like you said easy cut you know poor performance injuries and no dead money and every, like i think uh alex got a lot of shit from a bunch of no-namers on youtube who are you know like said that, you know, oh you know what if he returns to you know his 2017 form or whatever but right. you know if you're cutting turner and saving 11.5 million why don't you just give that to the other all pro Lindsley and you already have your guy yeah. who's like, you just, right. yeah, you, you lose a potential, maybe a guy who turns to pro bowl form. I don't know. I'd rather just give it to a younger, more proven kind of guy and, and just move on with it. Yeah. You know, that's the thing is like, you're saving $11 million. Like you have to think that already as is the chargers are going to make a play for an offensive lineman in free agency. Right. But if they cut mm-hmm. Trey Turner, they could get two. Like, you know, you could get with that kind of money. I don't think Joe Thune is going to be available. I know everybody kind of wants to talk to him. I don't think he's leaving. But financially, like if you cut him, you could go get Joe Thune and a Larry Warford. Or you can get Larry Warford and a John Feliciano, a Denzel Good. Like cutting $11 million, that's that's a really good chunk of change, man. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, could I do not think that Trey Turner is going to be as bad as he was this year, right. like it just doesn't make sense for him to be that bad again. Like it doesn't, but like Alex said, I'm not paying him $11 million to find that out. Like if there's a right. contract restructuring and, and he's his cap, it gets lower to like four or five, then awesome. Sign me up and, and I'll take that chance. But $11 million, I think it's, you know, like close to 11.5 too. Like yeah, I'm exactly. not taking that chance. I'm taking that 11.5 million and I'm going to get two swings at two guards and potentially upgrading both of my guard spots or a guard in a center spot because it, it just doesn't make sense financially to keep someone like this when they were so bad last year, so injured, and you know there's no cap uh, consequences from it. Yeah, and it's like 11.3 million isn't just like money you could use for other offensive linemen. You know, the Chargers are currently projected to have like 34 million in cap space. So you open up an extra 11 million, you have 45. And 11 million dollars, that basically pays for the Hunter Henry extension, right? You know, if you want to do that, like it's a significant amount of money, regardless of like which players we're talking about or, you know, which linemen, which tight ends, corners, whatever. Like, it's just a significant amount of money. And I, I did not see enough in his performance last year to 
to really justify um, paying him that. You're right. I mean, any, I would have Henry or Davis or Lindsley or Watt or Johnson or Floyd over the 79th ranked guard in the league. Like, sorry, I'm just going to take that every time. Yeah. And the other thing for me is like, you know, there's been talk about resigning like Feeney, Tevier, Lamp. Like, you could get like, <laughs> you could get like two or three of those guys on depth contracts for like half the money that you're paying Trey Turner. Um, and you could have them be backups or whatever. Like it's a significant amount of money that could like hold over a bunch of players. You know, if you're talking about smaller deals too. Yeah. You know, it really just makes, it makes too much sense. And, you know, like, you know, Alex did a video, um, potentially talking about the Cincinnati corner. I forget his name. Um, William Jackson, William Jackson, like with $11.5 million, like you can go get a guy like that too. Um, you know, and that kind of leads me to the next one. None of us really think that Chris Harris is going to get cut. You know, no. every, all of them have talked about like the potential of Chris Harris, you know, returning in, in this kind of defense, but I, I'm not too sure about Casey Hayward. Um, Tyler, what do you think this team does with Casey Hayward going forward? That's a tough one. It's, it's such a hard one. I think, well, like you said, not Harris. I don't know what it is. I'm starting to lean towards them cutting him more than I previously thought. I just feel like Staley will make it work with somebody else that he prefers. And I think they only lose, he has only $2 million in dead cap this year if they cut Hayward. It was $14 million or more, or $14 million or more (laughs) uh, the past three seasons. But now it's just $2 million. This is kind of the way the contract was set up. You know, you only have two million left this time, and if you know if if you're performing well the year before, we'll keep you around, no problem. It's a friendly contract, but if not, we can cut you, and that's pretty friendly for us too. So, I wouldn't be surprised if the all returned, but I, I'm starting to lean towards more them cutting Hayward. Yeah, I've been thinking that they're going to cut Hayward for maybe like two or three weeks, not just looking at the numbers. And it's like you know you have eleven point seven five million you know, as the cap hit 2 million in dead cap. So you basically save 9.7, $10 million by, by cutting Casey Hayward. And it's like, you know, um, the, the other thing is the scheme change for me, right? You know, Staley really likes kind of young, fast corners that can move around and that's just not Hayward. You know, yeah. uh, if Anthony Lynn had been brought back and, and they were still playing a four, three system, like I think Casey Hayward have, would have much higher odds to stay, but like the fact that they're, changing it up a lot um and maybe they go corner in the draft or do something else uh like casey hayward just isn't the guy to play like the same role that like jalen ramsey did this year you know and there's not you're not going to find a jalen ramsey necessarily but you can definitely find a younger corner or even a corner that is kind of faster and more physical right you know um, Patrick Peterson, for example, is a very similar age to Casey Hayward, but we, you know, he's has like four, three, four, four speed. And, you know, he's also six, one. So that's kind of what Staley wants in a corner, I'm not saying they'll go after Pat Peterson necessarily. Um, but I think that you kind of want a corner like that. And a corner similar to that in this draft is someone like Caleb Farley. Um, I don't know if they'll end up going after him or not in the first round. We'll, we'll see. But for me, Casey Hayward you know, if they had kept the same coaching staff and kept the same uh, people in place, then I think Casey Hayward would have a much larger chance to stay. But it's like, you know, Chris Harris, you can shift inside and, you know, basically play him at slot corner and he can 
still do that reliably, I think, for two, three more years in his career. Um, with Casey Hayward, he hasn't played slot corner in six years, and he's also not as good as a slot corner as Chris Harris, right? So right. that's just kind of kind of the issue. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing much of a role for him on this team either, especially if you want to re-sign Michael Davis, who I, I think is really important with his age, his speed, and, and sort of how he played last year. Um, I, I've been thinking more and more that, yeah, you, you look at the cap numbers, you look at the situation, you look at the new coaching staff, and Casey Hayward just feels like, you know, trying to fit a, a you know square and a round hole yeah you know that's totally fair and you know when you're comparing Hayward and, and Harris like the situations obviously there's the different roles and stuff too but you know that's 1.75 million dollar difference in dead cap too and so you know yeah. you, you just you save so much more money by cutting Casey Hayward than you do Chris Harris um so I, I just don't think that's going to make any sense for them to cut Harris and in terms of like what they could do to replace Casey Hayward like I understand the logic of, of keeping him right because, you know, you keep him and then you don't necessarily create another hole. Like if you keep Casey Hayward, then you can be a little more flexible in terms of where you're going to draft a cornerback, you know, whether that be, you know, a, a, one of the third round picks or on day three, you can draft it more of like a, a developmental cornerback to potentially start in a pinch. But so like, I understand that you cut Casey Hayward, you absolutely have to draft a corner in the first two rounds because unless you're taking a Patrick Peterson flyer or an AJ Bouye flyer, but you know, in that situation, I would totally understand it. Get a little younger, get a little cheaper in the secondary. And, you know, you mentioned Michael Davis, you can cut Casey Hayward and take all that money and say, here you go, Michael Davis, here's your extension. I don't think he would cost exactly $9.7 million, but you know, like the idea sounds like you could take the eight or seven or whatever Mike Davis costs and just give Casey's money to Michael Davis. Right. Uh, for me, it's just about, I guess, the future. And, you know, we, we were talking about like Linval Joseph or Justin Jones earlier in the show and like these kind of stop gaps in the defensive line. It's like, I, I feel like Casey Hayward this year would kind of be a stop gap corner. Like he, yeah. he would be someone who's going to play one more year and they're not going to bring him back. So doesn't it kind of make sense to just cut bait now and then start to figure that out? Um, I don't know. I mean, that'll, that'll be a Staley Telesco decision, but the more I've thought about it, he, he's probably the second most likely cut after uh, you look at Trey Turner. No, I completely agree. Second most likely for sure. Who is your third? <sighs> um, I mean, I don't really think this anymore, but for a while I did think Chris Harris because it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you take yeah. 11.2 million minus 4 million even if it's four million in dead cap, you're saving eight million. But because of what they've said, and because you know they they bring in someone who's worked with Chris Harris before as their defensive yeah. coordinator, yeah. Um, and then Staley was in Denver as the inside linebackers coach. Uh, you know, that's I, I don't think, or sorry, outside linebackers coach, I believe, right? Right. Um, so I think uh, you know I, I think Chris Harris is probably safe. Other than that, there's not a lot of cuts they can make uh, other than like maybe some of the other small cost guys. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, it wouldn't cost a lot of money to cut. Uh, I don't know. Some of the other guys down the roster, there, there really isn't another obvious big money cut. I think outside of those three, uh, just because of the dead cap money that would, you know, if you wanted to cut Brian Balaga or, or somebody else, um, they, they all produce, it, it's cheaper to keep them than to cut them off the team. Uh, so that's just, uh, the reality of how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, there, there's not really a more obvious cut outside of those three. People have brought up Mike Williams. Um, but yeah, like I said, I just think that's a situation where yeah. it would result in a trade or it would result in an extension to make this year's cap hit a little bit better. Like it would result in that kind of situation as opposed to cutting him because I, I still do believe um, he is an asset. You know, 15 million is a lot to ask a team to um, yeah. take on if you are to trade him. But a sign and trade situation works out fine there. So I, I think that the three that you're looking at are, are really the three that I named. Um, the other one, actually, that I was thinking about is potentially Linval Joseph. Um, because he, you do have $4 million in dead cap, but you have $11.5 one year left. Um, it would kind of be a little bit similar to the Brandon Meebane move last year. Though I thought Linval Joseph was better. So I would add him right. to a list of possible cuts. Uh, But I don't think it actually happens because he has been playing very well. And, you know, because he was playing well last year, you know, it doesn't make sense in the same way that it did Hayward, right? Where you're opening another hole. But instead of Hayward, you know, Linval Joseph was actually pretty good last year. Uh, So I would probably I would probably say the four most likely in order are Trey Turner, Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, and then maybe Linval Joseph kind of sneaks in there at the end as a potential surprise. Well, you know who, uh, not because of a financial decision, because you're not saving that much money, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a Justin Jackson cut because, Mm. Mm. you know, I think that this team, like they're kind of stuck. Like they just kind of have to, you know, this, you know, we're going to talk about the running back position, but they kind of just have to hope that Joshua Kelly figures it out. Like they don't, like they don't really have a path forward, uh, you know, with this running back group. And I love Austin Eckler. I think Austin Eckler is a fantastic running back. And can he be an RB1? Yes, absolutely. But I do think you kind of have to have a complimentary back that you can be very confident in giving 10 to 13, 14 carries a game and taking a bit of pressure off of him and also allow Austin Eckler to be more of a receiver because that was really the the biggest difference between what we saw in 2019 and 2020 for Eckler is that he almost never went out to the slot this year. He he was almost exclusively a running back, catch it out of the backfield type. And so could I see them cutting Justin Jackson for financial reasons? Obviously not, because you're only saving nine hundred thousand dollars, and there's no debt. There's no dead cap there because he's a sixth or seventh round draft pick. But you could cut him, and then you free open a, a roster spot for a guy like Jamal Williams or a different running back, you know, free agent edition, or then you can draft another guy. So I'm not. I don't think it's going to be super likely that that happens. But you know, cutting Justin Jackson, somebody who's been injured almost like every single month of the season of, of his career. Like to me, that could make some sense in terms of upgrading the roster spot, not necessarily for financial uh, financial reasons. Going backwards, just a little bit real fast. I would love if they cut someone, whoever they cut that they take that $10 million and they don't have to just get another guy for $10 million. I'd love to see some of these smaller signings like they didn't do last year. Like not that they're yeah. going to do it again this year, but, you know, Derek Watt, Adrian Phillips would have been really nice to have those two guys for what, five, six million dollars, yeah. you know, last year to have those similar guys this year. You need those guys on special teams. Joshua Kelly has not been good on special teams. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised. I either think they're going to roll with the same group moving forward or completely blow it up and just keep Eckler. At this point, I think I'd prefer they blow it up. And Staley goes, you know what? Eckler's great. I know that. We're going to use him out wide. We need to find some other, you know, running backs to run the football a little bit more while we let Austin Eckler do whatever he can do on the outside or as a receiving option. 
So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of leaning. If we're talking about running back groups now, I obviously keep Eckler, and I'd really just want to blow it up, blow up everything else. Yeah, Josh Kelly is interesting because he was kind of that. You know, Anthony Lynn was very high on him. Is yeah. uh, is Brandon Staley going to be particularly high on him? I don't know. Um, but even though he was just drafted a year ago, he has a $900,000 cap hit about and would produce about a half a million in dead cap. Um, so it's not like a crazy idea to to cut him or Justin Jackson. Um, Justin Jackson is just kind of a shame with his injuries because when he is healthy, like he is really good and he is a really good compliment to Eckler, um, in my opinion. But it's just like you can't lie on that, unfortunately, for 16 games. Yeah, you know, sorry about that. I was looking up. I was going to look up what other uh, free agents are are running free agent running backs they could target besides Jamal Williams. Kalen Balage. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's the thing with Joshua Kelly, right? Is like it got to a point where he was struggling so much that they decided to bench him in favor of Kalen Balage. And you know, I, I thought that he had a fantastic first game against the Raiders, but. You know, that's just not something you see other teams do. And, you know, you draft a guy, you talk so highly of him. You know, there was, you know, best player in training camp talk. Uh, and then to, you know, bench him for Kalen Blas was just odd. So, you know, there are some very interesting older guys that I'm not really interested in. You know, there's Todd Gurley and Mark Ingram and Tevin Coleman. Um, you know, Matt Breida would be interesting. Uh, he's, he's pretty much identical to Austin Eckler, though, in terms of style. Um, there's Leonard Fournette, who I think is going to get a big payday to stay in Tampa Bay, but we'll have to see on that one. Uh, Malcolm Brown is an interesting name in terms of, you know, a goal line physical runner. I wouldn't hate that one. Oh, man, this this free agency group is, is just not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, it, it, it gets bad when Steven's really trying to hype up Malcolm Brown. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the coaching staff and then how they've used running backs previously. So. Staley, well, Staley. So let's see. Sean, I mean, I'm just talking about assistant coaches. So Sean Sarah was more, uh, I mean, really just a James Conner kind of show. Yeah. Frank Smith, the run game coordinator, it's more like a Josh Jacobs sort of show. So I'm, I'm really curious what kind of backs are going to be looking for. Well, when ready? you're talking about like the Saints influence, right, with Lombardi and mm-hmm. Frank Smith, you know, they've been, you know, very dedicated to, you know, like a 50 50 type split. And, you know, you have Alvin Kamara. Or, you know, you go all the way back to Reggie Bush. And then you, ha- so you have like a receiving back who can run the ball, you know, 12, 14 times, which I think is obviously what Austin Eckler can do. And then they were, you know, they had Deuce McAllister as their power back. And then they have Mark Ingram and um, Frick, what's his name? The guy there now, Latavius Murray. Murray. So, you know, I-, I think if you're talking about a Saints influence, it's very clear like you, you almost never see a third guy. You see mm-hmm. two guys, and you, you basically split it 50-50. The Niners influence, the Shanahan influence, they're very much like four or five guys are going to touch the ball. Like, they use every running back at their disposal. I mean, you look at what the Niners have done the last couple seasons. You have Raheem Mostert and Jerick McKinnon and Tevin Coleman and Jeff Wilson. They all touch the ball, like, every single game. And I think Jeff Wilson was mostly a special teams guy. But, you know, it's going to be interesting there. But I think the dynamic that – we're going to see from this running back group is you're going to have Austin Eckler, who's going to get, you know, 10 to 13 carries five or six targets a game, be used heavily as a receiver. And they're going to want another guy who they can very confidently play 
in that supporting cast role. Because if you look at the snap counts, if you look at the touches, Latavius Murray, Mark Ingram, they were super involved every single week. And I'm, I just don't think like you can look at Joshua Kelly and his film and his production and everything and be like, okay, Joshua Kelly is going to be that guy. And you can't do that with Justin Jackson either because Justin Jackson gets hurt all the freaking time. He can't stay healthy. You know, Alex mentioned it. He's been great when he's on the field, but the injuries are a problem, man. So could they cut both of them? We'll see. I, I think Justin Jackson is kind of a no-brainer because you know, zero dead cap yeah. and he's injured all the time. So I think we're going to see them address the running back situation. I just don't know if it's going to be a free agent or, you know, potential like another day three draft pick. Do you know, I really, who? Oh, I was going to say, I really like um, Marlon Mack as an option. Uh, if they want to go in that kind of way, you know, I know he tours Achilles last year, um, but I think he'll be relatively cheap kind of because of that. So he could be an interesting kind of buy low option. Um, I mean, he was insane in, in 2019, you know, people remember the Chargers game that he put up on us. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, LaShawn McCoy, it's a guaranteed ring <laughs> based on the last few years. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> what are you yeah, going to ask Tyler? Like oh, I was just going to say that the Saints have a 2021 out where they could cut Latavius Murray because he was cost a lot to them before these next couple of years, that dead cap, not as much. So just thought I would not hate that, man. I, I, I know Latavius has never really been like a workhorse guy, but you know, he's got a relationship with Joe Lombardi. If mm-hmm. they, if they do move out off of him, I think that would make a lot of sense. Honestly, I do. Yeah. Um, if they want to get Latavius or really any supplementary running back that's kind of been in that Saints environment, uh, I really wouldn't mind it. Uh, I think that it, it could be a decent fit if they're really trying to position Austin Eckler to kind of be, I don't I don't think he's quite as good as Alvin Kamara, but it, to be that, that type of uh, receiving running back, I think that that could be really interesting. And he's played 14 or more games his entire career, which the Chargers could really need right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, then would you look at Mark Ingram too? Because Mark Ingram is a free agent. Uh, he's been with the Saints. He's, I think he's 31. So like, uh, yeah. he's not that old. I mean, I think he's, I mean, for, I guess for running backs. Yeah. I mean, he's 32, but he, he, he didn't made play five, much this year. Yeah. I mean, he didn't, yeah, I think he was injured. Um, but, and also JK Dobbins kind of supplanted him on the roster. Yeah. Um, I mean, he made 5 million and they still cut him. You know, because J.K. Dobbins took over. So, like, I don't know yeah. what his market is, I guess. I mean, probably, like, if, if you get him for, like, three or four million. I don't think that that's crazy because Eckler isn't making very much. I mean, he's only making six million per. So, if you could put together mm-hmm. Eckler-Ingram-Kind of tandem, and then that's altogether ten million a year, that's not bad. Give me Frank Gore. <laughs> Still better I mean, than Joshua Kelly last year. So. Oh man, Honestly, that one hundred percent would have been an Anthony Lynn signing, and we all know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about the tight ends because this is this is a, a less optimistic conversation because this this free agency group among tight ends is terrible, and so is yeah. the and so is the rookie potential, like. You know, Tyler and I were talking about Brevin Jordan from Miami as a like if you can't afford Hunter Henry, like he's the one you want in the second round. But then you're spending a second round pick on a tight end instead of yeah. another offensive lineman or a corner or a receiver. This team just has way too many other needs. They do not have a choice. They have to re-sign Hunter Henry. 
Right. And there are some people who are like, well, all he was was like a target over the middle. Well, that's kind of what they need. Like, yeah. and sure, he was just that. But if he didn't get COVID, he would have broken his you know personal record for yards, catches, not touchdowns, obviously. But he was in pace. He was on pace for a really, really good year. They don't have a choice. They have to re-sign Hunter Henry. Yeah, I mean, it's either going to be re-signing him or potentially franchise tagging him again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, honestly, I would hope to knock out the long-term deal this year uh, as opposed to wait yes. until next year when you don't you don't have the option to franchise tag him again um, and you basically lose all control. Um, I, I think for, for him, it, it's kind of easy. I mean, it's going to be... I think for him, a lot of people have talked about like, oh, you know, does he fall in a 10 to 13 million range? For a lot of tight ends, it's been about guaranteed money. Um, I think for with George Kittle, he got $75 million contract, but he got $40 million guaranteed. Uh, Travis Kelsey got $60 million, I think, in total, close to like $30 guaranteed. So like, even if he gets like a four or five-year deal, I think the biggest thing that will be the bidding war between like the Colts or the Patriots or the Chargers, um, if they don't tag him, is probably going to be how much the guaranteed money is. Cause I think they're all going to offer him similar amounts of years and probably total money, but it'll be about which team wants to pony up the guarantees, especially because uh, of some of the injuries Hunter Henry's had in his career. Right. Uh, mm. So I would say, yeah, I, I, I think they have to resign him just because like, you know, you mentioned Brevin Jordan, I guess Hunter Hunter long in the draft could be another option um but yeah that there's no one where it's like you can replace him this year with somebody uh gerald everett has kind of been in a number two role in with the rams um could he play a number one i don't think he could quite do that as nearly as effectively as henry this year right uh so you know or the other option is to just let donald parham roll with it uh and see where we go but that's not really a great option either because you know he's pretty um inexperienced so I think they have to re-sign Hunter Henry. And like when we talk about just how possible it is to do it, where you can open up, you know, millions in cap space by just cutting Trey Turner, like, you know, yep. you have 45 million Hunter Henry will cost 11 or 12 per year. Get it done. <laughs> just, right. just put yeah. it to rest this year, honestly. Um, and, and, and see where it goes from here. But to me, there's really no excuse, I guess, to, to let him walk for nothing. I think it's the most obvious no-brainer slam dunk re-signing that they're going to do, uh, whether that's for Justin Herbert, whether it's just for the offensive line to help blocking. Yeah. Like if all he does is catch things over the middle, if he does that 75 times or 750 yards, uh, that's fine by me. If he wants to do it, that's fine by me. Like if that's all he does, great. Then, like you said, there's no other options out there for the Chargers realistically. Kyle Pitts isn't getting to 13 anyway, but if he's there, I st- I still like I just can't do it. I can't pass on the lineman. I can't take Brevin Jordan in the second round unless you're moving back. And for some reason, you have two second round picks. Maybe, um, the, you know, Jared Cook, Gerald Everett. Like I'm not taking those guys. Um, Devin Stephen Anderson is gone. Donald Parham, great, you know, second option, but certainly right. not a number, not a number one kind of guy. Um, the guy that <laughs> we haven't brought up yet is Gabe Neighbors. And um, I don't know why I got, I'm the one who gets to bring him up, but twist of fate. You're obsessed. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, I'm going to see him on a golf course one day. He's going to kill me. Like, oh, <laughs> there he is. Um, whatever. Point is this tight end, the Chargers tight end group isn't great. The class isn't great. The free agent class isn't great. 
And Hunter Henry is probably your second best receiver on the team anyway. So might bring him back. So yeah, this yeah. is a slam dunk for me. Easy. And, and the other thing for me is like the way that I think they should think about it is like if you want to sign Hunter Henry to a four year deal now, then you can draft a tight end in like the third or fourth round, say it's a hundred long, and then you can you know develop that guy behind Henry, yeah. right? And you can sure. do what you know what the Eagles have done with Ertz and Goddard, what the Patriots previously did. Uh, with Gronk and Hernandez, like that to me is the way that I think you want to look at it and try to develop, you know, a, a tight end tandem. And you can have Hunter Henry getting 10 million and a rookie who's basically getting paid nothing, you know? So, and and then you still would have Donald Parham. So like, I, I think that's the way to go, or you could really sign like Hunter Henry and Gerald Everett if you want to do that. But to me, I don't think you could sign or draft a single tight end in this class that would really take over for um, for Hunter Henry. No, and you know, that's the other thing, too, is that like Hunter Henry did so much for this team as a blocker, too. Like he really took his game back to what we saw as a rookie and a second year player where he did so much good work for this team as a blocker. And so, you know, are you like Brevin Jordan is a fantastic blocker, but again, you'd have to take him in the second round. Um, you know, are you going to take a, a Hunter Long and expect him to be blocking edge rushers like like Hunter Henry can? Obviously not. Like that's just no. not what you're going to do. So, you know, they can they can franchise tag him. I think that's probably like a good idea just to make sure that he doesn't even hit free agency. Um, but having him play on the franchise tag is a different story. And so, right to me, like you know, because his franchise tag this year paid him ten point six. Doing that again pays him next year 12, which it's not a crazy cap number. They can make that work. But to me, like it would make sense to franchise tag him as soon as you are able to in a few weeks. And then once the league year starts, you can slap an extension on him, you know, and then, you know, Alex mentioned the draft to tight end. The Chargers have done that, right? Like Antonio Gates, and then you had Ladarius Green, and then you had Antonio Gates and Hunter Henry. So uh, I wouldn't be opposed to that plan. I think Donald Parham who knows honestly like he he caught like five passes like he they looked cool they were awesome but you know like what is he as a full-time blocker what is he as a full-time receiver i i'm not confident enough to say no i'm not drafting another tight end no i'm not signing somebody else to compliment hunter henry like i could bring back virgil green like i'd be okay with that too as a blocking tight end so we'll see but i i can't imagine that they go into this next season with you know, just Henry and Parham. I think they'll add someone else uh, in addition to those two. I think yeah, bringing I, back Green is a good idea too, because by golly, if they go, if they don't have Henry and they don't have Green and they do four new offensive line starters and pray Blaga hangs around, that's horrible. So they really need to bring on a couple of tight ends to help with this, with this, you know, front. They line. missed Virgil Green a lot, man. Like uh, Hunter Henry did a lot of good things as a blocker, but, you know, we saw that we saw them shift from, you know, a lot of two tight end sets to just the one, like they didn't trust Donald Parham as a blocker. So like they told us what they thought of Donald Parham last year, granted different coaching staff, but you know, the, the usage of the three receiver sets, like almost doubled after Virgil green went down with injury. Yeah. And and the other thing for me is, you know, you have to consider uh, Justin Herbert in this as well. When we talk about like the importance of Hunter Henry, like he's the second most important target on this team other than Keenan Allen. And so, you know, he, there has to be kind of that safety valve like Rivers had with Gates um, and, and like Herbert will have with Henry. Like, I, I just think you have to have that option for him. 
And I, I don't think Gerald Everett or Hunter Long or any of these guys we're talking about can be that option next year. So that's, you got to get a deal done, really. At the end of the day, Tom Telesco takes care of his own guys. Yes. I can understand if it's like Jason Verrett, where he just keeps getting hurt, keeps getting hurt, keeps getting hurt, and you got to let him go. Right. But Hunter Henry had a good season. He would have probably played all 16. And I think Tom Telesco is going to take care of his guy. I do too, man. And like my biggest thing, you know, we talked in the summer about a Hunter Henry extension. My biggest thing was health. And, you know, he stayed healthy. He played a larger role as a blocker. Uh, you know, COVID is COVID. Like, how can we predict that somebody would have missed the last two games because of COVID? And so to me, like you get the deal done. It's going to be interesting to see what exactly his yearly average is. You know, I don't think he's going to touch Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. And because no. Kelsey makes his yearly average is 14, Kittle is 15. Like, you know, they're clearly in that <laughs> they're in another universe. Like they don't play the right. same position as Hunter Henry, man. Like, so, you know, Austin Hooper makes 10.5. Kyle Rudolph weirdly is next and he makes nine. Uh, Gronk makes nine. Ertz makes 8.5. Granted, he might get traded or whatever. Um, so I think that Henry is going to land somewhere between 10 and 12. Uh, and he deserves it. Honestly, I think he does. Yep. Right. And I think out of that group, like, you know, you slide him in as like basically third behind Kittle and Kelsey in terms of pay. And I think that that fits. I think it does too. So, you know, we've got these dates coming up and, you know, they've got, I think, uh, three weeks to decide if they want to use the franchise tag at all. Um, I can't see them franchise tagging Michael Davis because that's like a $10.2 million cap hit. So, yeah. you know, if they're going to use the franchise tag in a couple of weeks, it's going to be Hunter Henry. Uh, and I think they would do that to use, you know, get give them some time and flexibility to then work out a contract extension because there's no other option besides Henry in terms of a viable franchise tag candidate. I mean, it was also a very similar uh, situation in uh, 2016 with uh, Melvin Ingram. They, they slapped the franchise tag on him, and then a couple months later, uh, they got that long-term deal done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good call. So uh, we were going to talk about the coaching staff. Obviously, that was uh, – well, I guess we could talk about it. You know, we've, we've, we're at 59 yeah. minutes, so let, let's talk about it real quick. Six um, seconds go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like to me – I'm excited to see what this coaching staff brings. You know, there's a ton of youth and some people have mentioned that as a concern to me. I think the biggest concern is that they are replacing uh, James Campen, who was one of the most respected offensive line coaches in the league with Frank Smith. And while I'm excited about his brain and his experience, he hasn't coached the offensive line since 2002, since 2014, excuse me. So that's really is my main concern. I'm not too concerned about the age. I'm not too concerned about the lack of, you know, an experienced head coach alongside of him. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about the quality of coaches. And if these coaches do their jobs well, then I think that's going to be a good addition. But, you know, going from camp into Frank Smith does concern me a little bit. Um, Alex, what takeaways did you have from the full staff? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I guess the first thing that stuck out to a lot of Chargers fans was, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pep Hamilton not being there, right? I mean, obviously, he's moved on to Houston. Um, but but I really like Shane Day and sort of what he did in uh, San Francisco. Uh, I think him kind of coming over is is a positive development for Justin Herbert. I think he's going to work out really well, and he's also has that passing game coordinator title. Um, right. I'm kind of excited to see how that goes. Um, as far, I mean, Jake Rogers is the other one that excites me just because of yes. his experience in Chicago. And if we could get a defensive line that for once can stop the run based on his run game coordinator title, yeah. that would be swell. 
uh if that happens uh i would be i'd be really excited uh if we get kind of a bears 2018 version of kind of that chargers line right uh that that would be pretty cool uh steven's twin uh michael wilhoyt um <laughs> you know um i'm excited to see what he brings because he was really the one name that we didn't know right uh on this coaching staff prior so it, it, it'll be cool and i know uh, michael peterson has talked up Derek foster a lot uh, as a running backs coach. So, you know, I'm curious to see, cause all these guys kind of come from like different backgrounds. There's not really like one common theme other than like yeah. Brandon Staley working with some of them, but they all uh, otherwise come from really different backgrounds and <laughs> gift Smith survives another coaching staff. <laughs> um, but um, you know, I- I'm excited to see how, how all this fits together for sure. I can't believe that they got both Giff Smith and Jay Rogers. I think that's a huge so win for good, the team, yeah. for the for the players on the team. Um, so moving forward, I'm really excited about that unit. Uh, my takeaway, other than the guys that you mentioned, was Cody Shada. That's how someone said his name in an interview, and that's what I'm going to go with. Um, right. You referenced Northwestern being one of the first college football teams to use data tracked by Pro Football Focus. I don't like their grades at all, but what they track and the data they come up with and produce is pretty unreal. I have a huge respect to them for what they're able to do with that. In Staley's press conference, he also mentioned that he's talking about the three, four defense or different, different defensive looks and how, yeah, you know, pro football focus, you know, maybe make it seem like we never play a three, four, but we're really kind of like doing certain things. Point is who does pro football focus hate the most? That is this chargers offensive line. They hate the chargers (laughs) offensive line every year. Some of it rightfully. So I just think they hate them in general. You know, from Tevi to Turner, they just don't like these guys. And when Staley in his conference referenced building, you know, talking about the Buccaneers having that dominant and complete offensive line and yeah. being a line of scrimmage team in this league, you know he's valuing the offensive line play. You know, as fans, we start to, you know, we can just cut, you know, this player and that player and all these players and it'll work out. You know, and I think, you know, not bringing the three linemen back and cutting Turner is a little bit out there. But that at the same time, because of these analytics and because of what they're talking about, and specific, specifically referencing pro football focus, I don't think it's, it's, it's crazy at all that they're going to have three or four new starters you know, along the offensive line. Shada referenced being as candid with themselves as an organization as possible. And they have to look at that data and say, you know what? Maybe we want these guys back for continuity. Maybe we want them back for Justin Herbert or something, but they're just not good. You, know, you, you can't deny the poor performance of this offensive line. And then you can't deny the fact that good, if you just look at pro football focus and like pass blocking efficiency for the offensive line, you can't deny that teams with a good offensive line make the playoffs and go further. So for me, not only am I excited for them to have some sort of analytics and you know data tracking and whatever moving forward, but I also think that what the fans want and what we want, which is kind of a revamp of the offensive line, I think it's actually going to happen based on what's said, based on who they have, and based on the fact that their line stings. I think we're finally going to get a scheme that values a good offensive line. I, I agree. And that's something, you know, even Tom Telesco in his press conference, his end of your press conference saying, we need to be more talented up front. You know, we've, we've never heard him say that outright and say like, we need to do better here. Um, you know, I think his action, like Tom Telesco does get a lot of slack for not for neglecting the offensive line. And while I don't agree with like how he's done it, we generally see him make one or two transactions transactions on the offensive line every year. And so, you know, I don't think there is a world in which you see Sam Tevy, Forrest Lamp, and Dan Feeney all back on the team and all retaining their starting role. And, you know, we talked about Trey Turner already. So I think the offensive line is going to be revamped. And, 
you know, we look at all of these, where, where all of these guys are coming from, all these coaches are coming from, you know, you have the saints influence. The saints have drafted a first round offensive lineman, like five years in a row or a second rounder. And you look at like what the Packers have done and you look at what, you know, Derek Foster is bringing from Iowa. Iowa's got the best offensive line in the country, like arguably every single year. So, you know, I think that the, the emphasis on the offensive line is going to pay dividends and that's something that should excite everybody. And you know, you mentioned the different backgrounds and like they've got six or seven guys coming from the college ranks and in a year when, you know, we don't have these, this team doesn't have access to these players. Having these guys is going to be, you know, huge. Like if they're looking there and Rayshon Slater and Elijah Vera Tucker on the board or Samuel Cosby, like they've got someone who knows Rayshon Slater very well. And, you know, same thing in the second round with Greg Newsom, the cornerback or, you know, cornerback from Kentucky. They know that Northwestern corner very well. They know all the Iowa players. They know all the Pittsburgh players. And so I, I think that that was intentional by Brandon Staley. I think that they all understood, like, we've got to get some familiarity with the, with the college ranks. And I'm excited about that one for sure. Yeah. Um, and we also mentioned like next week was supposed to be the combine and there is no yeah. combine this year. So, so the fact that you have all these college coaches, uh, I think is a big deal in terms of evaluating talent in the draft and seeing where you want to plug some certain guys in. Uh, so, so I think that's going to be a big deal for this team. Uh, just having these guys with all these different backgrounds. Um, I'm curious to see what Cody, um, what Shada brings, you know, he's obviously been, uh, Pat Fitzgerald's kind of right-hand guy at Nor- uh, Northwestern. Um, uh, and that's been a program that has impressed me every single year, uh, that I watch them. I mean, just very well coached, yeah. uh, on all sides and all positions. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm definitely curious to see what he can, uh, kind of bring as a assistant. He's also a guy that had a role with like community outreach and, you know, talking to players and recruiting players. I don't think this is tied together, but the Chargers, for whatever reason, have been very good lately about their public outreach, whether that be, you know, Colin Coward saying, hey, look at the signed football that I got, or Pat McAfee going to bat for the Chargers and having the sweatshirt on, all the interviews that Justin Herbert does, all the interviews that Staley has done. I think it's just a very small thing, but when you're trying to establish yourself and build that fan base, they've made some very smart, shrewd, moves over the past couple of weeks that I think are really starting to pay off. People think Pat McAfee is a freaking Chargers fan at this point. Like, <laughs> it's working. Like, yeah. And he just uh, dusted Raider Cody. So uh, <laughs> he's welcome on board anytime. Yeah, Pat McAfee, <laughs> if he were able to come on the show, man, that would be fantastic. That would be a dream come true. But I love how he dusted the Raiders, man. I love that so much. Um, so the last thing here, like for me, like in terms of this coaching staff, I mentioned some people being concerned about like the lack of an, an experienced head coach. And like, that is, that is true. Like I can understand that, but you know, a bunch of these guys are coming from coordinated positions, you know, Derek Ansley as the sec as the secondary coach, he was just a defensive coordinator and mm-hmm. uh, Phil Beatty, the receivers coach, he's been an offensive coordinator. He's been a special teams coordinator. And so, yes, they don't really have like that experienced head coach, but I think they've got a lot of experienced uh, minds and football minds. And, you know, Brandon Staley mentioned that he wants to have a competition of ideas, which I love that idea. Yep. I love that phrase. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, none of us are going to be able to see and tell how good this coaching staff is until they play some football games, which Alex talked about uh, on his Twitter page, but you know, they're saying all the right things. 
I love the way that they're approaching this. I love the emphasis of, of analytics. And I like that they're bringing in all these coaches from different backgrounds and they're going to be able to provide a very intellectual football team and bring in a lot of different ideas. And so I'm pretty excited about this. Obviously not like going to you know dub them Super Bowl contenders or anything like that. But right now on paper, it seems like the Chargers are headed in a very, very good direction. Uh, with this coaching staff, and I can't wait to see it pan out on, on the field. Right, and this will be something to watch with their free agent uh, and draft decisions, just what directions they go and kind of show mm-hmm. us what this coaching staff wants to do, which is why yeah. I kind of want to get out of this dead period of February with nothing <laughs> going on and get to get to the actual uh, meat and potatoes of it. But uh, no, I'm uh, definitely excited to see what this coaching staff does. And, you know, they'll pr- have to prove it in September or whatever and, you know, whatever. Go win a game before we call you a genius. All my hot takes on Twitter. Um, but <laughs> I uh, no, I'm, I'm excited about this coaching staff. And I think um, I'm just really curious to see what direction they go analytically and, and sort of what player decisions they make, uh, you know, in terms of acquisitions. Whatever happens, I just want to give this coaching staff enough time to develop I mean, last year, in 2019, that is, Aaron Rodgers in his first year with the floor had only 26 touchdowns. This year, 48. Yeah. So, like, it's going to take some time. And who knows what kind of offseason they're going to have. But it's going to take some time for this coaching staff to get rolling. But, yeah, like Steven, like you said, a competition of ideas. I love that, that Staley said he's going to have guys that are established in the league, guys that you know, you know, respect. You know, Lombardi's been here for a long time. Staley's obviously established. But then you're going to bring up these younger guys these color, these college guys, these guys to bring this blend of ideas. And so I don't know how long it'll take to gel all those ideas, um, but I'm certainly not too concerned about it considering everything's a vertical vision or I keep forgetting the phrase they use, but um, I'm not too concerned about it. I'm just, give them time. And I think some good things are going to happen because they finally have a vision for, like I said, they've entered a modern organization. There are, they've become a modern organization for the first time ever. And I'm just very excited to see where they're going forward. Yeah, and you wrote that great article for LFB about it. And like that was the biggest (laughs) I edited that. That was a lot of fun. Um, (laughs) but you know, you talk about like this team evolving, right? Like there was such a disconnect from every part of the organization under Anthony Lynn. And I don't want to trash him because he's not on the team anymore, but you know, just for between him and Shane Steichen and him and Gus Bradley and him and and Tom Telesco, there just wasn't like a cohesive decision making process on the roster, on, on personnel decisions, and on the field decisions. And so it, it seems like Brandon Staley, you know, he's going to lead a collaborative effort and there's going to be a high emphasis on communication. And like, to me, that's just going to, it's going to be so much fun to watch because it finally seems like they're going to have cohesion as a, as yep. a, as an organization. And like, you know, he's going to be able to, fit his systems around his players like he like he's talked about several times and i think that's going to include how they draft players and how they you know sign free agents and how they train players you know they 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 hired a, a performance a sports performance department ahead uh, of a sports deform, sports performance my gosh so you know i just <laughs> the communication for me it really is the biggest thing i know man it's been a long <laughs> it's been a long take um but I'm just excited to see it because it, it finally feels like they have somebody that has a vision for the team and is going to carry out his vision as opposed to, you know, doing whatever worked in the past or, or you know, it just felt like there was such a disconnect in, in past eras. And it doesn't seem like that is going to be an issue for Brandon Staley. And they didn't hire a racist guy. 
Oh, <laughs> oh boy, Urban Meyer. Oh, Let me tell you about that cracked. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, uh, I'll uh, I'll leave it on Twitter. There you go. Thank you for that because uh, uh you know, I will not condone any actions of, of Urban Meyer. But <laughs> this this one in particular, man. Like you know. I, the three of us are having a little chat about it, but you know, this was all on urban as opposed to like other actions that you could try and rationalize. At least other people have. And I tried to with Alex, but this was all on urban man. And like <laughs> even the, even the statement of, of this guy resigning was a mess. Like they released a statement and then they had to re-release a statement that had urban's name on it. Then they had to re-release it again because he like, it wasn't clear enough. And so that was just a mess, man. But you know, that's that's another team's issues. <laughs> the Chargers did not hire Urban Meyer. Uh, thank goodness, honestly. It seems like uh, Urban has learned his lesson over a grueling 48-hour period. Yeah, definitely not. All right, guys, any other thoughts about the Chargers before we wrap up today's show? Uh, No. I mean, just, just excited to see this coaching staff uh, roll out. Uh, I wrote like three articles on Bolt Beat the other day because I took over Valentine's Day for some reason. Yeah. Uh, so so check those out. Uh, we'll be doing more breakdowns on Patreon. And uh, yeah, keep doing the videos. Uh, thanks to uh, all your guys' questions on the Q&A on YouTube. That was really fun to do. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I will say before we close up, because... We do have a really fun week for you guys. We've got three or four potential prospect interviews that we're going to schedule, and I can't wait to get those out to you. Um, going to be a lot of fun in the coming weeks to be able to get those done and uh, just can't wait to to get that stuff out to you because I think in, in general, when you know about players, it's just more fun to see them and, and be able to click their names on the draft yeah. network and things like that. Uh, and so hopefully you guys are able to take some things from those interviews. And, you know, we can't thank you guys enough for your support. Our, our launching of the YouTube channel has been so much fun to watch. It's been such a collaborative effort uh, and, and just, you know, can't wait to keep interacting with you guys. And that'll do it for today's show. And we will see you guys next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.